Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to my hungry athletes worldwide. My name is Chaz Garrogis. You can call me Coach Chaz. I'm your host, the best coach, guiding you on your journey to a better life, wherever you are, in your room, in your car, on the track, or on your home court. Let's come together to build a more fulfilled life. If you're a return listener, share the podcast. If you're new here, subscribe, and I can't wait to grow with you. Let's get to business. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to my hungry athletes worldwide. This is your coach, Chaz, coming to you live. I'm featuring my original coach, my original swim coach. Um, this is a new format of the podcast. I'm introducing this as coach to athlete, and I want to be able to just interview different coaches. And who better to start than with my first swim coach, the person who taught me how to swim. Um, and he needs no introduction. Um, this is Fred Ellis Jr. How you doing? Hey, how's it going, bro? Um, first off, I, I just wanted to ask you, um, how what was your introduction to, introduction to the sport of swimming, or if you want to talk about your introduction to sports in general, whichever one you want to go with. Uh, you know, um, how I got into swimming is it's crazy. I was even the boys and girls club when I signed up. That was about six years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a long time ago. What year was that? And, um, you know, I really wasn't into swimming because I couldn't really swim at that time. I was six years old. But I got uh, went to the day camp and stuff, and for them to teach you to swim was was unorthodox back then because uh, you threw in water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you swim or sink. I said, okay, you know. And that's their, that was their method of swimming teaching swimming back then. And, uh, I just knew I had to do better because that wasn't acceptable to me. Even as a kid at six years old, I said, this has to be a better way. Mm-hmm. And there was really no real programs um, on teaching, uh, especially with black kids, how to swim. So, you know, it was uh, either I looked at you know, through just watching it and uh, observing other things, other people, or... Uh, I would never have learned to swim, period, to your truth. Mm-hmm. It was a trial error thing. But uh, yeah, just got involved in it. Something I needed and wanted to do after that to progress further. I really didn't have that an idea that I was going to become a coach, per se, or even a lifeguard. And, you know, because there were so many things that I had to go through before I even got to that level. That was, wasn't even in my, my mind. My mindset yeah. at the time was to learn how to swim, period, just for me. So, and it was um, just one of those things, which I had to do because um, there was no programs back. It looks like your audio just cut out really quick. We're back. Yeah, we're back. Yeah, it was a phone call. Sorry about that. No, you're fine. Um, could you describe the environment of of like a, being a black swimmer when you were first um, learning how to swim, or even when you were growing up as a teenager? Could you describe that that environment, whether you were racing or you were um, just learning how to swim? Could you describe your experience with that? Well, when I was first introduced to swimming, like I said, uh, it was through uh, the program of the Boys and Girls Club, and we, you know, we called the camps, and you know. We really didn't have no swim programs per se, and uh, you either learn, like I said, get thrown in the water or just staying in shallow one. But I wasn't satisfied with staying in shallow because I, I just, you know, I needed to know how to do the whole, the whole pool thing. So mm-hmm. I just developed it in my own thing, and I got into Red Cross and stuff like that, you know. And when I got older, like when I got sixteen, I took the uh, Back then, it was called the MDC, Metropolitan District Commission. Gotcha. Life got tests and stuff, and learned to swim. Developed my own swimming and swimming and swimming, till I got to a point where I was able to, um, you know, get certified. And I took all the Red Cross courses and stuff with them. I, I did all this stuff on my own, you know, with the with the grace of my pops. You know, he was always telling me, you know, just go for it, go for it, go for it. That was his model back then, and um, so I did. And I became, um, matter of fact, I was the first black lifeguard at the cast pool on um, in Roxbury. And that was many, many years ago. Like I said, I was 16 at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
that was my first lifeguarding um, real uh, job in, in aquatics, really. It was unusual and it was scary because uh, I was challenged due to the fact that, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I skipped the part. When I went to take the test, I took it in South Boston. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that in itself was really bad. It was too scary, you know, because I had to go there and I'm by myself and I said, oh man, how bad do I want this job? So uh, I ventured out there and, when I'm, you know, we're talking about uh, early 60s. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, and I'm taking a test. I was the only black person there as usual. You know, that's what seemed like started my lifeline because every place I went, there was nobody else but me there. But yeah. I wasn't there for anybody else but me at the time. So it didn't matter who was there, but that I was there and able to um, take part in the uh, in the programs and uh, develop myself. And when I got down to the, uh, to the pool, it was a lot of opposition, you know, because the boys just didn't want me there, you know, that's mm -hmm. okay. But but through strange events as it went through, one day we were all called on a deck by the, um, the manager, his name was Entz, Mr. Entz, I remember him well. And he said to everybody, you know, we're standing there, there was like five other guys, all white guys, bigger than me too. Right? Uh, I want everybody to show me the certification of this, that, and of it. And, you know, at that point, I was the only one standing with my hand up, showing my uh, certification. And he said, well, you're going to be the head lifeguard. They did not like that. <laughs> mm. They uh, did not like that at all. And uh, they failed to show up for work after that. And the pool didn't open up for weeks later because I was on the lifeguard on duty. <laughs> wow. They weren't taking orders of me under new circumstances. They'd rather just give up the JLB and go someplace else. They did so. So, hey, that just showed me right away what it's all about. But if you don't have the certification or the um, technical know how or the education in that particular field, you're not going to go anywhere. So, mm -hmm. that proved to me beyond a shadow of a doubt, my doubt that. I couldn't progress further in this particular field. So I did so. And uh, from that point on, I just um, started looking to do other things in aquatics and Red Cross and safety and, you know, fire services and the whole nine yards. And and they just wanted to improve and improve on every level possible. Once when I got the job at the YMCA, say for instance, when I, I ran into you, uh, you only a baby. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember yeah. something. I used to call you. What was that thing she used to call you? Oh yeah, nothing, no, nothing personal. But you were a chunky monkey. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was definitely a little chunky monkey for a while. Little <laughs> small fat kid. I said, you know, yeah. Kid, I said, yeah, he gonna take some work, but we can get, we can get him in there. And, um, I ended up losing all man. that too. Uh, <laughs> I was nine, nine, ten years old. Yep, he took off from there. And mm -hmm. um, it was all good from there on. But, um, and I, I, you know, when, when they got there, you know, started developing a team, which we couldn't exactly have a team. Because first of all, we had no real coach. I wasn't a real coach. I wasn't certified. And under the law, rules of the law, you got to be a YMCA coach. At the time, that was a YMCA coach. So there was no courses in Massachusetts for YMCA coach training. I said, you got to and what year so, was this? Back, well, in the, um, when you were swimming. Okay, so this would have to be um, the early yeah. 2000s, maybe 2006, 2000 to 2006, 2008, around there. Yeah, way back then, yeah. Yeah. So I had to go, I found a place, but it was in Philadelphia. Mm hmm And it was like $1,500 for the course, which the Y did not pay for, and they of course, I'm sorry, because <laughs> I was only one coach, and I wasn't a coach, really. I didn't have a team, so I had to get certified in order for us to have a team. So I took the course, I went down there, paid myself, uh, stayed out of me and the wife, and for a weekend, I got certified. And the good thing about it, once you get certified, you're certified for life. That's almost like mm -hmm. your uh, scuba training stuff. You get your ticket, and you don't have to do it again. You just, uh, you're in. So I got my certification, came back, and came head coach at the Y, 
in Hyde Park. And then they said, well, you still can't really have a team because the pool's not 25 yards. What? Yeah. You remember that crap? Mm-hmm. Then I had a uh, team up with um, the Mildred and get their people involved and, and then do a co-type of um, uh, membership for the kids from um, the Mildred to the Y. And uh, we developed a rather large team. Yeah. We had a lot of kids. What, 40 kids or more? But uh, One second, as- step, Fred. Can I, can I um, sorry to interrupt you. I kind of want to go, because you, you did talk about a couple points, and I did want to go and um, talk about your experience with the team. But you had, you did mention something earlier about going to Philadelphia and taking um, a certification for uh, swim coaching. I was wondering, did you take any certifications or did you take any classes that you feel like really impacted or really changed the way that you looked at the sport of swimming or changed the way you looked at um, life in general? Yeah, well, when I was done, ironically, I ran into and met David Marsh, who was one David of the- Marsh. Yeah, he's one of the top coaches in the country right now. And uh, I met, ran into him and talked to him and he was saying he would like to have more, at that, at that conference too, there was a conference there, at that particular time, there was only maybe four black coaches in the whole building. Mm-hmm. And it was over 3,000 people there. <laughs> and, he's, and they mentioned that at the conference over the, on the stage and stuff. And it was only maybe, you know, myself, Jeff Worthy, and two other black. Matter of fact, um, Coach Ellis from uh, the one who made that movie, Pride, he yeah. was there. Mm-hmm. He was there. Met him there. Got so, it. So uh, it was like I said, you know, and and at the time we were we were, we were in a little fishing upon. I mean, uh, and he said that, and David Marsh was quite adamant about the fact that he wanted and support more for black coaches, and and, and at that time I had this time to his place, and I was never mad about that. Yeah, and uh, I did go and take some of his um, watch some of his uh, hopeful Olympians at the time who did make the Olympics. And when I was down there, I was exposed to different um, technique, tech schools and stuff. And uh, I really got interested in it. And it was really cool, you know, because as far as my training prior to that, it was like limited. And I didn't understand it because I wasn't really into competitive swimming. Mm-hmm. But and I got into was it later. What year was this? Can you describe that? And the competitive, what time I got into competitive swimming? Yeah, uh, heck, that that was like uh, it was. I was like maybe eighteen, nineteen, and it was more like distance swimming. And they didn't call it um, uh, they they now they have it. It's a different league. It's a league now, but back then it was just you know you swam, you know, and I was just doing distance swimming. That's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And my top time at the um, Roxbury Y, I did two and a half miles straight. And um, I was proud of that accomplishment, and stuff. And, you know, because I never imagined doing that. That's why how I can also on the swim team for um, Roxbury uh, for the Sting Race, because Jeff came in one day and then he see me, and then I was just going and going and going. And they said, "How could I continue doing that?" I said, hey, "Self determination," and because um, this was for just me, and I wanted to develop it, and I could always say, "Yeah, hey, I did this is swimming," and and uh, I held it. That, that that title for quite a while then it was you know no big deal of course it was mm-hmm. just because we we're just black swimmers and we cared and uh but it, it i cared so i wanted to be able to express and help out other kids and uh, i you know 99 percent of the time as a coach and coaching that i've been doing it over the years i um i just did it I wasn't making money, believe me. I was not making no money at all. It wasn't about money. It was about the kids in my book. And still to this day, yeah. I mean, I don't have to work or do anything. But to me, payment is seeing the kids win, develop yeah. mentally, physically, psychologically. It's a way for them to learn about life, respect, dignity, mm-hmm. self-esteem. All this is really into that. And a lot of kids don't have that um, type of uh, leadership or those things that people they can look up to and 
and being a swim coach, which I still was not really sinking into me as a coach. Coach, to tell you the truth, it did, that coaching thing title didn't really affect me until maybe about six, seven years ago mm-hmm. when, I'm, uh, when I was with Peak. And uh, being called coach and then uh, all the time, high level sweat places and all these big people and uh, other organizations and people see and say, hey, coach, coach, coach. And I said, man, I said, I'm coach, yeah, what the heck? And, but it, it wasn't to me like, like people would say, hey, you a firefighter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, being a coach like that and, and when somebody said, it was no big deal. Yeah, that's why I was feeling it was no big deal to a swim coach. But over the years of actually participating in different programs and different places and meeting thousands and thousands of kids and other coaches and man, I um like I said when I worked for Peak for all those years, uh, I went from state to state, city to city, town to town, I have pools and places I've never even dreamt of being at, and uh, people acknowledge you as coach. They didn't stay, they didn't look at my color or, you know, my personality and thing at the time and say, hey, how you doing, coach? Because once we are on the deck as coaches, you know, you're on the deck. You're in a different world. Yeah. People are, you're on a stage and people are looking at you and you have to portray that part which they're looking for information and dedication and understanding and, you know, you have to do that. You have to be, you know, your heart has to be really in it. And I got to that point long, long time. I want, I want to make a note. I want to make a note right there, Fred. Sorry for interrupting. You said, you, you said you got to a point of basically it kind of, it kind of sounds like a, a feeling of responsibility that, you know, you are a coach and that you do have this knowledge and that it kind of is a way um, it, it's a, it feels like a purpose almost for you in a way to to almost share it and um I, I was wondering did you did you have any challenges with that like when you first when you first realized that or like what were some of those challenges that arised when you when you first started having those feelings actually well um because of what it was it was like you know uh it was just weird you know i, I walk up on the deck and then it's like walking in um on stage when you're if you're an actor or something, or you're a movie star, people looking at you and who are now and everything that comes out of your mouth to uh, what you're going to say, and then they want to say yes, and coach asks questions, and you just feel respected, and it's just like you're this person of interest to them, and you have what they want. Give them what they need. Make them feel that you care and understand their wants, and then needs and each child and each person is totally different you can't treat them as a whole and i just felt you know obligated that i had something that i could offer these people you know be it for money or not most time was not (laughs) and they could um benefit from it Mm -hmm. and my like i said my see them achieve their, their greatness in the water, man. I mean, that was my payoff most of the time. You know, I would show up at meets and stuff, never being paid to even care, really, and travel all over the planet, see kids swim and do well, and, and just in the book, I would say, hey, coach, thanks. Hey, coach, uh, just last couple of weeks ago, kids came in from their first meet, and one of the little girls said, hey, coach, and I looked at her, and because she never spoke really much during the time when I got there. She says, my mother asked me to tell you thank you. I said, what? She said, thank you. And I want to thank you. I said, what for? I dropped so much time from the stuff you taught me inside of three weeks. And uh, I was really, you know, man, I was like, wow. It's like a teacher. You know, wow, really? And then they all start coming to say the same thing. And the coach comes, the head coach comes in. Grabs my group and commends them on a job well done. They dominated, matter of fact, the meet, that particular meet. And this was just a couple of weeks ago. And um, job well done and coached, hell of a job. And I was, you know, because to this day right now, I haven't been paid and I, I wasn't looking to get paid. 
I'm just doing volunteer work for uh, almost two months now at the Y. So, um, you know, lessons, private lessons, early, you know, still late as we can. And the kids are just coming in like a sponge and sucking up all the info. And this last past weekend, uh, like I said, I, I got there and all these kids come. I said, wow, everybody's, I said, what's going on? And then one, some of the parents said, after the kids left, what was going on? I said, you kidding, really? I was impressed. I was really impressed. I was touched a lot, really. But so that just it, um, intensified my belief in giving kids what they really need and understanding them, even in their moments of the craziness or where they think they, they can't. I, some of the kids I talk to feel that they can't go anymore. And, uh, and these kids are good. They're really yeah. good. They're I love kids who want to learn. And this like sponges. And they're in there coming in early, early. And I'm finding myself getting in early. They come in, coach, can I do a five? Can you do a 500? <laughs> yeah, can be my guys. Mm-hmm. And these are little kids. And the older kids now, they're doing 15, 2,600. I gave them 2,600 one day for the fact because they thought they weren't going to pay attention. But I changed and flipped the script on them. And we were doing the 500s back to back, back to back. And they were like astonished. And then the older kids said, Hey, coach, can I get a private? Hey, coach, can I? Like, like I said, uh, you know, they were all like sponges and they just want this mm-hmm. more. And but they're cutting time day after day. The technique is tighter. And it's just to me to see that. And the parents was, came in last week, they were just ecstatic. I said, hey, you know, this is what they need. That's all. It's not that they didn't do it. It's just that they didn't get it. And it wasn't their head coach's fault because he didn't have the facility or the manpower to facilitate their needs. So I'm just happy I'm there to um, make them happy and achieve their uh, highest goal they did in life. And the aquatic well, and a lot of them want to go to. Uh, there's so many of them who want to go to college this way. I was yeah. surprised. A good amount a of them. Of, some of them are already looking at schools. Yeah. Do you have any swimmers, whether you you swim with them right now or you coach them right now, or from your past that you feel like have really affected you, or swimmers that might have gone to that level, to the college level, or even further? Yeah. You? <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you said hopefully. Yeah, of course. Yeah, man, you're like a protege. Come on, kids. You know. I didn't, I didn't make it. I didn't make it to college swimming, but I. I no, I, no, I, but you made it to college because you, you know, you could have went the other way, boy. You could have went the other way, mm-hmm. but you, you know, you put your foot down and you stick. You stuck with it. And your mom was all over you like a cheap suit. And hey, I, I knew you had it in your heart and soul, man. And your brother turned out great. You guys turned out great, and I'm, I'm proud to know you. But uh, yeah, you you put you went in there. I talked to you in the field. <laughs> Swim coach. I said this ought to be great. <laughs> yeah, no, I still got a lot to learn. I still have to. I still have a lot to learn. Yeah, hey, that's the whole thing. And and, and every day we all still learn. A lot of people, you can't teach old dog new tricks. Oh yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. That old dog wants to know the new tricks and keep up with the times. And you can't keep. Giving out the same old information. That's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You have to be on point. Excuse me. Oh, sorry. No, it's all right. I got to change, change my dog. One standing and waiting to be petted, and the other one be petted. So it's like kids. You can't do one without the other. <laughs> yeah, I see. I, I believe it. So, um, yeah, but um, and uh, I have some other kids who are swimming with me now. They're swimming me on other teams. I have like four of them, and they're top notch swimmers. And one parent called me and said she her daughter's been waiting for two to three years to bring her to, so I can get a pool because she wanted she stopped swimming because she didn't want to swim with nobody else. Yeah. And she was she was Olympic bound. The good thing is she's just 15 now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a mother, so I called the mother. She's Chinese and she's really good. I have um some other foreign kids and um people come from out of the country. Bless you. Who uh, uh, come up every year just for private lessons, and um, I get it every every time, and um, so it's it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I it's what I what I achieved in the learnings, in my learnings was 
to, uh, you know, use that and give to people who need it, who want it. And uh, I, I, I don't see any, you know, my thing is, if I walk into a booth, this is what happens a lot. I walk into a booth, and I do it now. I see people who are swimming or learning to swim, trying to swim, and instructors or those people who are learning to be instructors teaching, I would. Oh, looks like you cut out really quick. Okay, we're back. Gotcha. Call. I would tell them, say, hey, bro, listen, let me tell you something. Once you do this, do this, and then once you do that, and that will give you a little better chance. And these guys, every time I walk in the door now, one of them say, hey, hey, coach, hey, oh, oh, Fred, hey, hey, can you, uh, do you want, I got this, I got a class. I, I, I feel honored to give these guys information, techniques to help them better themselves, to better the people they're training. It feels so good, you know, and they all get together. I got five or six of them, every guy, and they all want to be instructors. And see, the, the, the thing is, people don't understand. And everybody thinks that a life guide can teach. No. Each level of um, aquatics is achieved by classes and certification. Mm -hmm. Life guide is one thing. Okay, his job is to take care of the pool and, and um, people in the pool and uh, overall um, safety. Uh, then you have an instructor. EVB out uh, just a water and safety instructor, instructor, um, assistant, or someone in training. Yeah, but people are to swim, possibly. Yes, but everybody doesn't know the strokes, so you can't just mm -hmm. assume that he's like that. He knows the strokes. That, that's not the truth. And a lot of people, even people, people, well, what you teach swim, you're like that. Uh, so, uh, what you want me to teach you? How to swim? How's that? They had, don't have a clue. And that's why we have a lot of lifeguards that don't know how to swim. <laughs> yeah. You have coaches who can't swim. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You have coaches who can't swim. You have officials who are never afraid to get in the water. So what are you talking about here? You know? So uh, my philosophy is if you're going to be a swimmer, a swim coach, you should have some ability to swim. Oh, for sure. You know? I mean, beyond just... Uh, the, the little life um, safety courses they take. No, that's not swimming. I mean, that's a safety course. That's more lay, for a lay person. I'm talking about actual swimming experience. Can you do a 500? Can you do a 200? Can You know, hey, I, I understand that. How long it's can like you It's like getting a football player to, to coach tennis. Can you do? That's the whole thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of people can't. Because they have never actually, you have coaches who have never been at actual swim meet. I work with guys like that. They don't even know what swimming how it functions. They have no clue what a swim meet's about. Yeah, but they I've seen that before. All about swimming. So, okay, so it's like, uh, you're a pilot? Yeah. Can you teach me how to fly? Nah. Well, I haven't really flown. I can simulate a PlayStation, so you can't fly. Yeah. But you're a, fl you're a flight instructor. Yeah. What country? You see what I'm saying? The same thing. <laughs> I can drive this. I can drive this tank, but I can't really maneuver the tank, so you can't drive it. Well, I can get it to go once you show me how, but you don't know how to. But you're gonna tell me you can teach somebody else, but you haven't actually did it. It doesn't work that way. The same thing for coaching him. Man. You, you have to live that part of it in order to understand. It. Yeah, that's the whole thing. It's the concept of. Like I asked him, coach, do you know the concept of a stroke? What are you talking about? What do you mean the concept? Never mind. Just move on. Mm -hmm. Just move on. It's kind of like you, you can get into it and you can learn. It's, it's like you can learn on the fly for 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 anything, honestly. And for, co for coaching, you're in such a position where if you're making those mistakes and like learning on the fly, you have a way greater potential to harm um, generations to come because of your ignorance or because of the misinformation that you're getting. And um, that, that puts you in a bad position. I've seen it. I've seen it. And you've seen it too. With oh, every day. Immature, these immature coaches or coaches that I think they can just put on their suits and, <laughs> and get. Oh, I'm a coach. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're training them to do bad habits. Giving them bad habits. You can't correct their bad habits. And you're making their habits worse. And it strokes. It's in, in, in kicking. I see kids who I, I got a kid now. He's seventeen, almost. 
he can't even kick. Mm. I had to start this boy out of the kick from day one all over. His father says to me, he says, and this was the last Wednesday, he says, he says, wow, I never seen his butt come out the butterfly. He said, and he never kicked the kick. He never kick. Some of his friends are in a swimming pool and said, hey, man, you going to kick today? He believes he can swim with all upper body strength. I said, no, you can't, son. And I said, well, are you, uh, you're a paraplegic now, right? <laughs> I said, yeah. that's your dog, because you're dead from the waist down. Mm. And he wasn't kicking. I told him, I put him on a kickboard, and boy, couldn't we kick. I said, oh, my God. How long you been swimming, son? Six years, and that's the best you can kick. Yeah, some some people need to start from day one. Um, yep. There were some. I I I, I kind of want to. It's it's kind of coinciding with this point. Um, going into good form and just making sure that we avoid these things because we do. You know, bad form can hurt you. I was wondering, did you have any injuries coming up in the sport or during your your coaching? Well, any. You talk about any injuries in general, but any injuries that you may have experienced because of bad bad um instruction or anything that you probably could have avoided. Oh, uh, personally, I um I was swimming, and this happened at the High Parkway years ago, mm-hmm. and um there was some kids in the water, and could I I'm a firm believer, you know, lifeguarding first safety is my overall responsibility in the water, out of the water. And, uh, and I promote that as much as possible. Some people don't want to hear it. But one day I was in the water getting ready to do a, um, uh, a private lesson. And uh, there were some other um, patrons in the water. And this one big kid, he was swimming. And I told him, hey, man, slow down. There's other people in the pool. There. And he was just big playing on. So, excuse me, as I'm swimming from the deep into the deep end, he goes underneath me. He pushes off from the bottom, comes up head first, hits me dead in my chest. Oh. Were you there that day? I'm not sure if I was. He hit me in the chest and fractured two of my ribs. Oh, snap. Jeez. And I was in the deep water. Mm. And the pain, and I dropped down in the water. I, I felt the when he hit me, I just stopped breathing, held my breath. I dropped under the water and I came up holding my side and I was side stroking my arm. I know it wasn't hurt. I know when I came to the service, I seen the parents and everybody trying to get to me. And I made it to the shallow end. Man, I was in pain. He broke two ribs, two of my ribs, playing in water. I was too mad to talk to him, but I told him I never want to see him in the pool again in his life. Was that was that there. somebody that was around the team or just some? No, no, it was somebody a kid who came in and he used to come in all the time and his whole thing play, play, play. I told him this is not the place to play. And then after that happened, he was barred. But meantime, it took me to get hurt for that to happen. Sonny, ciao. Yeah. So uh, that was my one of my experiences in uh, getting hurt in the pool. And, and that was and that was out for a couple of weeks of that, you know. I was out for a few weeks. And I was I had it fractured um two ribs. Yeah. And it hurt for the longest time. So I couldn't really get in the water or anything. And from that point on, I just was just like more overly cautious about um, that uh, people in the water, dog, uh, you know, horse playing. I, I, I really don't like it at all. Yeah. Because I see other people get hurt really bad. Uh, some kids lose teeth, uh, all kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I had maybe as a lifeguard or even as a um, swim coach, uh, pull people from the water numerous times over my um, career in the pool, you know, a good 10 or 15 times drowning, near drownings. And uh, even had a jumper one time, my clothes on disabled lady who had a lifeguard jumped in and he got tangled up in the lane line because he couldn't, she couldn't get across the pool to save the lady. And uh, ironically, the lady was, was a lawyer. <laughs> oh, no. I said, oops, here we go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but the, uh, that, that was my bad experience getting hurt, you know. And as far as my worst, worst experience is when I was, I was in the water, but it wasn't swimming. I was scuba diving for the uh, fire department and uh, off the shores of Boston Harbor. We were doing bomb checks at the time of search and rescue. And I got in the water with a new suit and new uh, ensemble and everything and dropped down 
too fast. Didn't get a chance to clear my mask, and I ruptured my eardrums. Oh, man. Oh, gee. And I was 60 feet in the, in the water, and I knew I did, and I, I was vomiting up, and blood was coming, but I was down 60 feet. I was down there. I already did the damage. I stayed down for 30 minutes. Mm. It's after I came out to take myself my goodness. Whoa. You can see all the white stuff coming out of my ears, blood and everything. And I was out for like two, three months after that. But I think that was my worst. But um, I learned how to handle the event of a real emergency because I could have, I should have possibly drowned because the fact is I swallowed blood, but I was able to uh, vomit, keep my mask on and my, uh, uh, my regulator and just relax. Not panic. Yeah. Panic is the number one killing tool in uh, emergencies. People panic first, and if they had. And I know it's hard, hard sometimes to think about a possible way of not hoping this turns into a bad thing, but some means of. Uh, it was, it's all comes down to training too. You know, I've been trained so many things for it's, you know, for all my life. If I've seen them, do I think? Yeah, heck yeah, you know. But the time was in the army, then the air force, fire department, all these medical places. Uh, heck, I was even flying with F-15s. Uh, I was in the air force. I pulled out Hemingway and oh boy, yeah, I can go on and on. But uh, training is uh, the primary um, thing in helping you to prevent real bad uh, emergencies. It's definitely even when I was at 9/11, the same thing. So it's it's a lot of training. And if you're constantly yeah. training, lifeguarding and water safety, you're training. And I was online looking at other different techniques and stuff. And my old school stuff, I look at it and you, I bring it up to the front lines. Because you have to sometimes go back to old school to make the kids understand. Mm-hmm. Old school, new school, they run together. You know, just like re-educating yourself and them. And you take some of the old stuff and turn it into new stuff. And uh, what old work, old stuff might work better for some kids versus the new stuff for some kids. Because like I told you, all kids don't learn the same. And more kids are more visual now than they ever were. You know, sometimes, most of the time, while I, even when I'm doing kids, I do evaluations. I ask them, you ever seen yourself swim above or below? No. Once they look at themselves, they say, what the heck? I said, yeah. that's you. What do you think? Am I doing that? I said, Maybe I said, who's your twin brother? Your twin sister? They they just can't believe it because they think they're doing everything right. And, uh, I said, this is what I'm looking at. <laughs> you tell me what's wrong. Said, oh my God, Chris, can I fix it? Yeah, you can. But you have to see you to believe you. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. is what it is. Teaching. And sometimes it can be done by just self-correction. And the kids look at it and say, oh man, I thought, let me do it this way. You know, and my biggest thing to a lot of kids is stop saying the word. To me, I told them to swear. When they said to me, they swear to me. Well, I'm going to try. I said, you know what? They're going to cost you a whole lot of push-ups. Try it. Don't try it. Try it to me. It's like saying, well, I'll do it. Well, right. I don't care. You know, that's what it is. Like, whatever. 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 Same way. You know, but don't try it. Do it. Don't tell me, oh, coach, I'm going to try it. No, you're not going to try it. Get out and give you some push-ups. So what you going to do? I'm going to do this, coach. I'm going to do this. Just do it. Don't tell me you're going to try it, because try it don't cut it with me. Because that's not putting 100% of what you want. I want 130. And, oh, I, I tell them, I have high standards, and I always raise the bar, because that's what you need to be. You can't be on basic standards. High uh, on the bar. Let's get up there. Push for the goal. Push yourself. Challenge yourself. Don't say I can't. Don't say I might. Uh, I'm not going to. I, I don't think I can. Don't. How do you know until you actually do it? Then make like, I like this this point right here where you're where you're talking about just pushing to like one third. There was a couple points you did talk about where you, you had described a little bit of your um your scuba diving experience. Where I do which I do want to talk about later. And if we don't get to talk about it in this conversation, maybe we could um, set up another conversation possibly too. But you talked about your scuba diving experience, a little bit of your military experience. 
and um, just even just like uh, like a hundred thirty percent mentality. I wanted to hear a little bit more about. I, I wanted to hear more about this. Whether you, um, what do you feel like you adopted that mentality of like go further? Because as we both know, it's not necessarily something that you um you're born with. You know, it's something that you you forge, something that you're made through. Whether it's just through like, especially just being black. You know, through our experiences being the only person in the room or being the only person that is in that leadership position but could you describe actually i want to let's bring it to um your military experience could you describe your introduction to your military experience well that began um wow back in 74. Okay. well when i came of age my father was always a firm believer in being a veteran himself you have to sign up for the day. At that time, so uh, once I got to the age, I and I did my um, hometown signed up enlist. Lo and behold, I didn't know there's a difference between being enlisted and being drafted. I'm still a young kid; I have no clue about this. I, it didn't didn't dawn on me until I got to boot camp. The difference between and inductees and uh, draftees and what have you. I said, well, they classify you. Now, those who volunteered were treated totally different. Hello? It was like summer camp. <laughs> I said, what is going on? Oh, you guys get to go to the movies tonight. And I said, the movies? Oh, yeah, the movie theater. You guys got free popcorn. Everything was free. You know, so maybe a couple hundred guys watching movies and stuff. Meanwhile, we also we always got us some training and stuff. And then we come out at the movies over laughing, giggling. And these guys are actually doing training. We chilling. And uh, said somebody said, Well, what's going on over there? Why are we doing that? This guy said, Oh, those are drafted, those are guys have been drafted. The draft is what? Oh, you guys enlisted. That's why you're over here. They weren't giving it to those other guys. Mm. Those guys were looking to get out. I said, oh, so they had to be brought in. We did, oh, okay. I, then I understand. I understood it. Then um, the way of life for uh, draftees and um, enlisted were, and, and volunteered was totally different. So you enlisted, you were in a different uh, category. They didn't even bunk us together in different places. They, you know, they would have so many volunteers and have so many um, draftees in a, in a company. And they still classified you when you were there. But when I went in, by the time I got there, I, mean, I was home trained. My mom and dad already had me prepared for it. I was a Cub Scout, a Boy Scout. I was almost enrolled in my Eagle, Eagle Scout certification. I was a cadet as a, as a paramedic, um, a military organization through the Veterans Association. I was uh, in different drum and bugle corps. So I was already privy to the military way of life because my mom's and father ran it like the military there was seven of us so we had a, a stiff and but stern um way of being brought up and understanding and staying out of trouble back then trouble was it was really easy to get into and my dad said you got two choices see me or see somebody else i said oh i'll see you because uh, somebody else is gonna get me in trouble he said you get in trouble don't even call home what <laughs> to me, I'd rather be a live chicken than a dead hero because <laughs> my father was not no joke and I didn't push his buttons. I believe everything he said, I listened to because nah, nah, I don't want to be that product because they were back in the days when you said something, did something, or when your brother something, did something, everybody paid. I said, wait, I wasn't here. Should have known about it. You should have known. I, so military to me was a summer camp and uh, I thrived a lot and I developed, I mean, a military life to me was just like, hey, my mom's dad had trained me for years. And my mother, I remember saying, when you get out into the world, you have all the training you need to survive in this world. And she used to instill that into us all the time. With the church, the day, uh, uh, choir rehearsals every day. We had the church, and hey, we didn't have time to get in trouble because we were too busy with Sunday school, uh, Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts, 
camps and Bible school. And we didn't have time to play. We played once in a while when the lights went out, you know, you're in the house. And that was it, you know. But military, it was, it was to me, it was awesome. I, I, really, I really enjoyed it. Um, I got there, and I had a problem with my leg. I always had the problem. And I had vertical veins. And I went to the medical doctor one day, and he said, son, this is your ticket home. He said, you can be out here tomorrow. I said, what? Now, this is after six weeks of training. Almost. You boot camp was seven weeks. He goes to me, now I can get out of the medical because I, my leg is hurt. My is uh, going to get worse. I said, excuse me, sir. I've done six weeks. I got one more week. I'm not going nowhere. I'm there right here. Yeah. Won't behold that I realized in the next room was my um uh, my commander. He heard what I told the doctor. I got back to the um, to the um, building and he called me down to the call CQ room, the headquarters, and he said, "I want you to do something." I said, "What's that, sir?" And I reported it and he says, uh, "I was at the doctor's when I heard him I tell you that and you told him that." And I I thought he was about to chew me up. He says, "I want you to be a squad leader." That's it. What? He said, but here's the kick. You go tell your squad leader you're taking his job. I said, huh? And the dude who was my squad leader was twice my size. He told me to go tell him. I'm his boss now. I said, okay. So I went back and told the dude, I said, uh, and I remember his name, John Manns, big brother. He said, I told him, I said, look, um, CEO just won't tell me, tell you that I'm not taking command and I'm going to be in charge. He looked at me, what are you talking about? I said, I'm now in the company, I'm now in the squad leader. So he took the stripes off and gave it to me. He said, congratulations, brother. And he was my backup man from there on. Anything I said, I said, man, handle it. And this dude was twice my size. And I had the best respect for them brothers from there. And then I went to, um, when I got the OCS, uh, or AIT, it's called Advanced Individual Tactical School. Um, I was assigned assistant class leader. There's a class leader and a class leader. There's like a, you know, acting sergeant. And uh, I got my sergeant stripes, which means I was in the back of the pack. And the, uh, um, the class leader, who was um, the sergeant, he was in front of the um, patron, patron, um, platoon. So something happened. Well, he was white and I was black, of course, you know. And they weren't giving a black guy no front spot. He kept messing up, messing up. And one day the company came in to him and said, he dismissed him. And he said, Ellis, you're now company um, platoon. What? I said, how did that happen? Get up here. You're in charge. Mm. Man. They gave two promotions out at the graduation. Either the top graduate or your, your class leader. I got top honors in uh, graduation. And it was it was unbelievable. I still got the plaque and everything like that. I was a distinguished graduate from um then they offered me the OCS Officer Candidate School. I said, Wow, I never thought about this. Uh, I made the colonels orderly because I should my mother taught me how to iron clothes and uniforms had to be like starched. Man, my clothes were so starched, you could stay my pants up, they were warm by themselves. My job was just to drive the colonel around all day and do nothing. And then I, I love that. And then I became class A, graduated, then the OCS, and then I got the military, and then I said, boom, I'm with the 26 AG, adjutant general. Matter of fact, my station is where BU used to be. What BU is at now, that used to be the National Guard Armory. Gotcha. National Guard okay. Armory. So then I, from there, after I got out of academy, I said, wait a minute. I got all this military training, and I'm back in the Army, did not really paying attention. I heard about the Air Force. I did a transfer. I enlisted in the Air Force. After seven years, almost, after four years, almost five years in the Army, I went to the Air Force, and then it was a total, total different world. So this was about was 78 or 80? Back in, yeah, I was the only black on base. I was the only black on that military. This oldest, oldest air, oldest um, um, airfield. There was an oldest Air Force base. I was the only black person there. It was like that crazy. Dude, I said, what in the hell? But I loved it. <laughs> 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 I 
Stairs and everything else. I was in the 102nd interceptor wing, medical. I was um, aerospace medicine. I got aerospace medicine. Then I hooked up the guys under the fire department. I was in the fire department training with them on their um, uh, extrication tools because I was in a rescue in the fire department Boston. And that's what I was doing. I, that was normal to me. So I helped train those guys. Then I got into flight. I went to flight school, a PZ Air Force Base, F 15, got clearance for 60,000. I did all that stuff. And uh, Came back, started going up on um, missions with uh, Colonel Judd and um, a B model. A B model plane, uh, it's like it's a two seater. And I fly missions with him all the time. So I got four up boys and, and with the, the guys in the 15s, I got my uh, 15s flight school. I did everything. I went to flight training school in the Air Force, but not the whole thing because I did base training in the Army. Then I got promoted again. And then, um, hey, it just took off, man. It was uh, military to me. Was that. Matter of fact, in all my terms, I got two models in the Air Force. So I just checked with them recently, and they said, you are a veteran. So what I said, well, I never used to, didn't realize I had veteran status. They said, you've been a vet for almost 30, over 30 some years. What are you talking about? Said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody told me. I never knew that. I said, oh, really? She said, you're a double vet. I said, oh, well. He's like, I might, he's like, I might be. I'm, um, this is like really, this is really interesting. Um, we talked about your firefight experience. I kind of want to, I might want to bring that back. Um, we might have to do a part two for sure. Cause I want to be able to make sure we get this one good. Um, oh, that's a different, that's a different animal altogether. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole, I, I want to go from the, I do, yeah, we'll, we'll have another conversation about that and possibly the scuba too, but if there's anything I want to like close out on, um, it might, this might just be a soft question, but I was wondering, do you, what, what do you think is the best way to get at, get good at swimming or what are some things that you feel like really aided you in getting good at swimming? Well, for me, is getting the training. I I I I always been this way. My thing was, I will learn how to do a job, and then I would take that job and make it better. And my teachings on swimming are the same. And you can always improve on anything that you do in life. It's just if you want to take the time to learn how to actually do it, and then you can improve different things. I, I've improved certain types of techniques. I added on, and, and like I said, each kid is different. And what you do for us, most of the kids might not work for all of them. Mm-hmm. So I do individual um, training so they can learn to do the same thing, but at a different pace. And I used to do the Camp Joy program. I did um, uh, kids who have, have um, uh, disabilities and stuff. and to me, kids who are misunderstood learn a lot. Because mm-hmm. um, I was always told as a child, I was a slow person. You're slow, you're slow. And I remember asking my mother one day, and God rest her soul, I was sitting on my porch in the summer. I had to bring her up from down south before she passed. Because my mom passed when I was at 9-11. She said, that I asked her, I said, Mom, you think if my brothers and sisters were slow like me, they'd be better off. And she stood there for about a couple of minutes and she thought, she looked into the sun, she turned around and looked at me and said, baby, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Slow down, you're going too fast. You gotta make the moment last. Mm-hmm. Then you gotta make the lives last. I lost two of my brothers and sisters because they were moving a little too fast for themselves and they lived for today, not for, days to come. Mm-hmm. And my thing is, you can better yourself by learning. Learn from other people's mistakes, learn from people who didn't make those mistakes. Prevent the mistakes from happening by being aware of what you're doing and how to do it. And role models these days are not easy to come by anymore because um, people you believe are uh, all that and they're this and that, they have more skeletons than you can shake a stick at. And so what? I didn't know that. And you just do the best you can and always be a 
good person at heart. Wow, that was that's weird. <laughs> okay, that's telling me something. But anyways, sorry. Um, it's just it's a matter of educating yourself. Yeah, education is the key on all levels. And in swimming, you have to be somewhat savvy and understanding. And you can't take shortcuts in swimming. That's one of the things I tell the kids. There's no shortcuts to it. You either develop it or you don't develop it. And you can't take a shortcut. There's no such thing. Yeah, just like in life. It's um there's a lot of good there's a lot of parallels with the pool and life. Um it's a it's an amazing sport. And um do appreciate you, you know, helping me out in my introduction into it. Um, hey, you you were my you were you were a gold star, man, in my book. So you achieved uh, the ultimate and that was become a good person. Mm-hmm. Seriously. I appreciate that. I'm working on it, you know, trying to, and this is this is an effort to even just like be a better person in that. Um, Is there anything that you wanted to leave the audience with or leave anybody who would, um, you know, who would see this or listen to this podcast later? Any um, life lessons that you learn or just something that you want to leave the crowd with? Be what you want to be, but do it the right way. Believe in yourself. Self-esteem is so easily misforgotten people don't understand the concept of that you have to believe in you believe in what your abilities are believe that you are worth more than people say you are and my thing was when people say oh you can't do that when i i i used to do that as saying okay sure let's prove them wrong my father's thing always was do more than they expect you to do. Do more than they expect you to do. Mm-hmm. I, I lived by that for all my life, really. And um, and always give thanks to those who helped you. Don't forget where you came from. Now, that's a lot of problems some people do. They forget where they came from, and they just start smelling other things instead of uh, forgetting about the little people. You remember you were there, too. Yep. I was told one time when I was in the Army, my commander said, I'm not going to make you do anything that I didn't have to do to get where I'm at. And he was a captain at the time. I was only, what, 17. I listened to that and I understood exactly what he said. And I tell the kids in the pool, I'm not going to make you do nothing that I didn't have to do, but I'm going to make sure you do it to where you understand it and you make you a better person. I'm not going to beat them up. I'm not going to pound them. Make them understand. Let them understand what it's all about. Explain. Take the time to talk to them. Take the time to listen. A lot of people don't listen. That's the problem, too. You have to listen to things. Listen to people's problems because everybody's different in this planet. I mean, I know, I know enough people. I just told the kids the other day, I know enough people from another country. <laughs> and that's far from the truth. <laughs> Probably planet. So, you know, and people perceive you for what you are, what you do, and what you've done. Nobody's perfect. And I say, anybody who tells you they know everything, there's something wrong with that picture. Something wrong with that picture. And I'm always going to learn. I always want to learn because I always want to make sure people understand the right things, the wrong things, the things that can hurt them, things that will help them, people who can help them, how they can help them. Life's short. We're only here for a small time. Mm-hmm. And some people's lives are cut short because they made the wrong turns, wrong decisions. Hey, I was down that road. I know what it looks like. But I'm not going down there because I know the five guys on my baseball bats. <laughs> and ain't going to be no fun coming through there. Yeah. But, uh, hey, take one day at a time sometimes. Think about what you need to do and how you can get there without hurting yourself or anybody else. Swimming is a stepping stone life that's what i feel mm-hmm. amazing where that's well that's all i really have um really appreciate you fred um this is gonna be up on 
YouTube within the next couple of days. We're gonna just probably edit it. And yeah, I'm gonna send this your way. I'm about to stop recording. Appreciate you guys for listening. If you like this podcast, subscribe, hit the like button, wherever you're finding this at, go ahead and subscribe. Appreciate y'all. Stay positive, stay blessed. Peace. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like this episode or the whole podcast, if you haven't already, leave a review, subscribe to the channel. This helps other people find the podcast so that they can take away some value in their lives also. Once again, follow me on Instagram at C-O-A-C-H-C-H-A-Z-Z. Stay hungry, stay blessed, and stay positive. Peace.